0: We are recording. Good morning, good day, and good evening. Welcome to episode... I don't 180-something, 6, 7, something like that. I don't know. I've lost track at this point. There's
1: a number somewhere.
0: Yeah, it's in the 180s. I know that. <clears throat> Welcome to the show, Neil Gomper. How's it going? I know that you've been, like, involved in Flock, but I imagine a lot of people just didn't realize that you've shown your face before, because i only ever seen the Detective Conan picture. <laughs> yeah so uh yeah it's a it's an interesting
1: morning it's the you know the beginning of september technically it's the labor day over here in the u.s where <laughs> i live um it's a it's a nice it's a nice day i'll probably like after this go outside for a nice walk and and yeah. you know chillax
0: a little bit it is 12 15 in the morning um i'm going to go to why sleep why the after heck this. did you agree to this time i've done way worse than this i have gone <laughs> to sleep and woken up at four in the morning before to do podcasts with some people i so okay here's the thing right i have a so i don't just do the youtube thing full time i also have a uh job in a supermarket doing like night filling work like nothing important is just whatever um I get home about thirty minutes before this, so for me, like I'm still awake. It's not really a big deal. Um, oh, so you're a night shift over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, you yeah. do a night shift thing. <clears throat> yeah, okay,
1: yeah. so you've already switched your your sleeping rhythms around for this.
0: Well, for the okay. most part. Look, I I try to get up at like eight nine in the morning. So I'm look I'm I'm gonna get what up. What is like, wrong with you? Look. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I, know, I realized I
0: you're in an Australia, and I'm just like,
1: this is why I was like, I, I don't know how we're, how we're, like, I was totally okay with, like, doing this in my evening, which would uh, be your morning, and yeah, that would we're... be way more legit. <laughs> <laughs> it's fun.
0: We're here now.
1: We're here now, so it's fun. Um, I thought, oh, well, maybe Brody's just an Australian that happens to live somewhere closer, so he was okay with this. I was like, all right, sure, that's great. But no, you're an Australian in Australia talking to me at midnight.
0: I am yeah. like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> look, look. As as I said, I've done way worse than this. Um, yeah, that's that's all. I'll, that's all I'll say. Oh my gosh! All right. Well, I'm sorry. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I'm just gonna. I'm just gonna sleep in tomorrow. It's fine. Not a big deal. Um, so Neil, explain uh, who you are and what you do for anyone who doesn't happen to know. I don't know if there's
1: a simple answer. For I that don't question. think there
0: is. I've looked at your LinkedIn.
1: Yeah. So, um, so I for for I guess the, the focus of your audience, I, I I've kind of styled myself as a professional technologist. I'm also an open sourcer, whatever title you want to use for that. I've been involved in Linux and open source in some form or fashion mm-hmm. for 20 years or longer and that by the way means that i've been doing this since i was a kid so oh, wow <laughs> i'm not old <laughs> and, and sometimes though i feel it when i talk to some of the people that i get in and they're like what is you know i, I you know they've never heard of some of the references i make or like a floppy disk or or, or windows 95 and i'm like oh i <clears throat> i hurt because like i first used windows 3.1 Whether anyway
0: you so, know there are some of those like distro maintainers like 15 years old like some of them yeah. are in my discord I'm like how are you a distro maintainer already like uh,
1: i mean to be fair i got started when i was uh when i i, I started making fedora remixes when i was 14 15, wow so. uh yep yeah, so i i've done that i i've I done that as a kid mm-hmm. um but no, I've so I've been doing open source Linux and open source stuff for like twenty plus years. Um, I actually got started, I think, in like two. I want to say two thousand, two thousand one.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, it was two thousand one because it was right after Windows XP became a thing. Um, and that's how you, look. This is how you date me. Okay. I, I I remember Windows XP.
0: <laughs> I think. Um, I think my first computer we had was XP as well.
1: Yeah, Yeah, yeah. So the first computer I had. That my family had was actually an ibm XT running dos yeah. <laughs> uh and that was because like when my dad uh was um uh, worked from home for a while after my mom had me mm-hmm. they sent him a computer to work right, from right, home right. right and that was what he had and then like my first experience with computers so my dad was a math professor at uh um in indiana university kokomo and like I remember in my early birthdays, like he would get his office computer upgraded. I think it was like my sixth or seventh birthday. I forget which, that um, he got the computer outfitted with a CD-ROM drive and a sound card and a 2.1 sound speaker set and like put on things like Reader Rabbit and whatever with multimedia. And I was like, oh, wow. And, and yeah, and that eventually, when the university upgraded his computer again, um, they got that... Um, they moved from gateway to dell so they got a dell optiplex to replace his gateway 2000 machine he bought the gateway 2000 machine from the university for like nothing and then uh gave it to me and it was my first computer and i promptly tore it apart did my own upgrades uh and did my own things it's like it came with windows nt 4.0 on it i wiped (laughs) it and put windows 95 on it then later i put I did a multi-boot with Windows NT and 9098, which by the way is really hard because Windows NT doesn't know how to read Fat32. And then later on, like I, I started experimenting with Linux. And this is where like Red Hat Linux um 6.2 out of a library book. Okay. The library book was actually for a different version of Red Hat Linux mm-hmm. that didn't match the book. So uh because the librarians obviously don't know what CD is what, and then so they put the wrong ones in and and I, thankfully they were the right, coll- they were a full collection. So I wound up installing it and I broke my computer and that's how I got started with Linux.
0: So that's um, the release from 2000 then. So I think Red Hat Linux 6.2 was
1: like 98 or 99. But again, I, I did this in I, like 2000, I, 2000.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at the release list. Six—if If it is 6.2, that's 6.2 Zoot in April 3rd, 2000. It may have been another one or you may just be getting the timeline wrong. No, yeah, no, if that's right, then it still fits within the window of like, hey,
1: this is when I did stuff. Right, right. Um, uh, And I started with Red Hat Linux and broke my computer multiple times, upgraded through that all the way to nine. And then Fedora, you know, the Fedora, when Red Hat Linux 10 was canceled, then went to Fedora core, you know, I followed on that chain. Um, But anyway, like I started all the way back then as a user using this stuff, following into Fedora and actually even... know going to ubuntu like ubuntu uh in like i think my first version of ubuntu was ubuntu 504 breezy badger uh for a long time i could actually say all the ones in sequence i could remember all the code names and actually say them (laughs) um i don't know if i could pull that off right now but that was definitely a thing for a long time that i could do um but yeah, so then I was I was dual Ubuntu Fedora for a long time, all the way okay. up until until college when I stopped using Ubuntu because um, in about 2011 or so, then they introduced Unity and it was um, kind of a mess. Like the experience was good, and I wound up actually using it for like family computers and whatever. And especially it was great because it was the only 10 foot ish UI that we that was available on Linux. Mm-hmm. Um out of the box. And so we would use it for the family computer connected right. to the TV. But um I wound up having problems like maintaining Ubuntu systems back then. And mm-hmm. it was just, and at the at the time, it was also like really difficult to talk to canonical folks and Ubuntu folks to get things to be improved. Mm-hmm. Um and so I kind of ship moved away from it back to like being full-time Fedora. And this kind of coincided with me graduating from college and then getting into my into my professional career, which cemented me just using Fedora day-to-day for everything and contributing to it. And a few years later, I started contributing to open I started u- contributing to OpenSUSE. My first usage of SUSE distributions actually dates all the way back to around the same time I started trying to use Ubuntu. Uh, helpfully, the installer crashed. Uh, I think it was SUSE Linux 9.1. I want to say it was either. <laughs> Eight or nine point one, I forget which one, but it 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 helpfully crashed from English into German, okay. and it was like this yellow on red, yellow on red that I couldn't read, and it's just like, well, okay, clearly this doesn't work, and I tried a few times, I think even all the way up until I finally gave up with ten It's like, mm-hmm. okay, clearly, Sus not made for me because this keeps happening, mm-hmm. and um, but like, yeah, um, so that's like I I've used um. Debian-ish, Red Hat-ish, suse ish distributions for almost 20 years now. And I started contributing them about 15-ish years ago to Fedora, and I pretty much haven't stopped. It's Mm -hmm. just grown in scope and whatever. Uh, And then for Suze, for Open I started poking at it, like, I think it was 10, 11, 12 years ago, and then started uh, actually contributing to it about 10 years ago um, and that's, and I've kind of kept doing it ever since. Uh, and and in that time frame, I've jumped from many different distributions. I've used Red Hat-ish, Sousa, debian as I said, but I've also used things like Gentoo, Arch, um, Mandriva, and that's how I kind of got into Magia as well, many years ago, an open Mandriva as well, uh, and some of their offshoots. So I've kind of been a little bit all over the place partly because of stuff that I've used, but also like I genuinely feel excited about open source and being involved in it and helping people. Like I look at open source as my way of leveraging the skills and knowledge and capabilities I have to help benefit the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I have a very altruistic streak when it comes to how I look at, at open source software. So part of that means that like I try to help people which means i wind up doing things that i wouldn't actually i I work on things that i don't use a lot which makes me a weirdo because in most cases in open source people only really work on things that they use or or or, or compelled to deal with Mm -hmm. i just do all the things all the time
0: i don't know how many people that you've talked to about like how they got into linux but with people from like your era whatever generation whatever term you want to use for it it's a, always a very similar story it's like okay I started on Red Hat Linux I eventually started using Ubuntu let me like it was not something because like Ubuntu was offering like a a more like desktop friendly experience better for the hardware you're using something along those lines I would assume and then when unity comes out it's like well
1: well okay so like it's not that I dislike the unity experience <laughs> I, I think that there was it was a major step forward. Um, when the Gnome Experience came out, it was actually my point of adapt, uh, basically, like the the um, when when the Genome Experience and the Unity Experience came out, it, it was very obvious that they were comparable. There were some right. similarities there. The difference between the two was that it felt like Unity was actually like targeting a real person. Mm-hmm. Um, like I felt like when I was using it, it was like, oh, there's there's things here. People are thinking about what I want to use. Things feel slightly integrated. It's it's like a thing. GNOME has for a long time felt to me like just somebody's vision mm-hmm. of how people think they should use it. Like in some respects, very close to the Apple-esque approach. Right. Without the without the um, the pull to make them make them uh, really uh, something people wanted, all the and uh, like everyone wanted. But I've bounced back and forth between, for example, KDE, XFC, Mate, GNOME, Cinnamon. I um, eventually settled onto KDE Plasma with Plasma f- the, towards the end of Plasma 4, mm-hmm. um, and then into Plasma 5. Um, I actually joined the Fedora KDE just shortly after we started shipping Plasma 5 and sort of kind of. By default, took over the SIG because there was I was the last man standing on on a lot of the stuff. So that sort of happened. Yeah. Um, but like I used to use GNOME 2, and I really liked that experience back then. And when they moved when Ubuntu moved to Unity and Fedora moved to Gnome 3, um well, GNOME didn't stay on my computers for very long, and because it was <laughs> it was really not it was not complete. Right. And, and it was a very painful experience. But Unity while the the reason I essentially stopped using Ubuntu over it wasn't because I disliked the Unity experience per se. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. The problem was that Ubuntu was horribly unstable all the time. Like I was actually having failed distribution upgrades, package updates going wrong, applications getting borked because of patches and GTK and stuff like that to make it all work. Like it wasn't. It superficially was looked integrated and was very a very clean experience. But when you started putting things into it, it started like falling apart very quickly. Mm-hmm. And it was just not something I wanted to tolerate all the time. Mm-hmm. So I I moved away from it. And for a while, I used Cinnamon and then um, Mate. And then eventually, I landed
0: on KDE Plasma. I guess it kind of makes sense why Ubuntu was really weird during that era. Because they, they were very much trying to work out... Like, can we not just be a computer operating system, but can we... Be something in the smartphone space. They had like the whole Ubuntu phone. There was the Ubuntu TV stuff, which hardly anybody remembers. There was the Ubuntu tablet as well, which was separate from the phone thing. They were doing all of these things at the exact same time. And I backed the phone. Oh, you did? Wow! I did. Why? Because that phone was nonsense. It it had. I've read the specs. The specs are literally nonsense. They don't make any sense. I backed the phone. Because back then
1: I was actually in, I was a telecom wonk back right. then, and I was really in, in the cellular in mobile space. Um, but I also wanted to see something more aligned to what I cared about. Yeah, yeah. And Ubuntu Touch was something that I was excited about.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Mark Shuttleworth put up that, I think it was an Indiegogo or was Yeah, it, yeah it was an Indiegogo, yes. Yeah. And I backed it. Uh, no, I get it. Then- it sounds
0: really cool.
1: Yeah, I backed it, and then they didn't, but they gave me my money back, which was actually, it was like, oh, okay, well, this is, that's fine. <clears> I mean, this is in contrast with another one that I backed a few years later where I still haven't gotten my money back and I have no anything, and I just, oh, man, and I backed way more money for that one. I, that I've one, talked about this one...
0: before, but I just need to remind mm. people just how ridiculous the Ubuntu Edge phone was. It was, it was a, such a cool concept. For oh, th- yeah. Th- so the iPhone 5, one gig of RAM, Samsung Galaxy S4 2 gigs, Ubuntu Edge 4 gigs. Okay. Galaxy S4 16 gigs of storage, iPhone f- uh uh iPhone 5 64, Ubuntu Edge 128 gigs. Um it Those a... are
1: not crazy today but 10 years ago they
0: were nuts. <laughs> yeah, That's the 128 gig internal storage. Um the the screen wasn't that crazy. The screen was actually a lower res than what the S4 had at the time that was a 1080p screen this was only be 720. Well, to be
1: fair, Samsung manufactures their own displays and they were that's keeping fair. all the best stuff for themselves back then.
0: That is absolutely fair, yes. Uh the rest of it is all totally normal. Stereo speaker though. I wish more phones I still had phones. I still don't know a phone that has a stereo speaker. There was a couple of HTC phones that came out uh, like years back, but it's, I don't know why it never became standard. It...
1: I guess it's because it's really difficult to do it properly, like auditorily. Like, mm. you know, having special audio on a phone means that essentially you got to have speakers in, in two places. Right. Um, aside from the circuitry nightmare that that's going to create, um, how does it make a phone call sound? Right. How does it make, like, there's a lot of times they reuse the speaker for the, that's used for phone calls.
0: I would assume for you for just swap stuff. it into mono for a phone call. You just cut off one of the speakers. That would make sense. But, you know, some
1: people be crazy. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's, true. that's true. There are people that walk around with speakers, like glued to their chest. So uh, that is, that is weird. That's I like, hate those people. Like, Stop it. <laughs> Just dead <laughs> earphones. You go to any store, there'll be earphones there for like a couple of dollars. And also,
1: nowadays, headphones and earphones are, and earbuds especially mm. are now so good at spatial audio mm-hmm. that you don't need a jukebox strapped to your back and chest. <laughs> you
0: really don't. No. Also, no one needs to hear it. No, no, really don't. Or if you want it to be like, you know, if you don't want to have something in your ear, you can get bone conductive earphones. They just like stick those on are your face. Those
1: so interesting. I haven't used
0: one of those. I've not I used haven't... them, but they look cool. I want to. I don't think they're that expensive anymore either. Yeah, they used to be like thousands of dollars. Mm. They must, but they... Yeah. Uh let's see. Bone conductor bone conduction headphones. Let's see. Uh the best bone conduction headphones of twenty twenty three. Thank you, Tech Radar. Uh what do you the gonna give me a price? No. Okay, we'll just click this one. Two hundred dollars. Oh, so that's like right in line with high end headphones. Yeah. Oh that's actually that's two hundred Australian, so that's I don't know what that is in real money. Um, like In real a, money, uh, that's probably like what, maybe one hundred and eighty or something like that. I think uh, our dollar is way worse. And that's like one hundred and fifty. <laughs> wow, I was
1: being generous.
0: <laughs> yeah, our dollar's not great. Our dollar's definitely not great. Um, how, <laughs> did, how did how do we get here? Well, we're talking about Unity and then Ubuntu Edge You yeah, got to the phone, yeah. And then you—they also had the Ubuntu TV stuff, which that was really I never cool.
1: saw anything. I never saw anything, but it was very cool. But also the Ubuntu TV is like essentially scaling up the Unity UI for television. And and that always made sense to me because that's, I actually did that. Like my personal, like I I used to own a 55 inch television Mm -hmm. when I, before I moved uh, to where I live now, you know, I, you know, when I was in college and whatever, I had a big TV and whatever, but I connected it to a computer and I used the Unity UI for it because it made sense. Mm -hmm. So like, to me, that whole concept always made sense, but I never saw anything come out of it.
0: Well, I don't know if anything ever did. There was a CES demo... God, I don't... 2012, 2011... Whenever they first like showed it off. Um, then there was a bunch of news stories that came out after that. People were like, hey, this is so cool. This is exciting. Open source TVs. A year later, like... And Nothing. Canonical still doesn't have system integrators. Yeah. Yep. Okay, this is going nowhere. Yep. Yep. That's the problem they have, because by that point, Android TV was in, like, early stages, but still existed. Apple TV was in early stages, but still existed. And then Canonical comes along doing their thing. So it's like, okay, but how do you compete with Google and Apple, who already got something established in this market and already had partners? Like, that was going to be so difficult to overcome.
1: I think it would have been less difficult to overcome than people realize. mm mm-hmm. Because the actual key problem, and this is always dogged um, even desktop Linux, is that um, multimedia consumption on Linux is a pain, and it, if you if you it, like an Ubuntu TV for it to be actually usable,
0: mm-hmm.
1: would need to have partnerships with media providers to provide integration so that the so that those services would work. yeah, we were at the beginnings of 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 the streaming streaming content yeah, era, yeah. yeah. And not having a Netflix and a YouTube app built into Ubuntu TV and not having, like, some of the other burgeoning content things all worked out, that, that probably, like, made it difficult for them to get um, when, partnerships with TV makers. When it comes... it's not like the TV
0: makers want to make their own software <clears throat> if they don't have to. Yeah, for sure. With the, um, with the app, one of the things I think did act as a barrier to entry for that is they wanted the Unity UI to be like the, the I guess, the single UI for accessing the mm-hmm. content. They didn't want to have like, you know, you load into the Netflix app, it's its own UI. You load into the YouTube app, it's right. its own UI. And I think that level that of- killed it. You're taking that kind of control away from those companies. They just didn't really have that interest. Yeah, nobody has that interest. Like it makes, obviously, it makes sense in the open source space, but trying to convince Netflix to do it, it just wasn't going to happen. It makes sense in every space,
1: mm-hmm. but commercially, it wasn't going to sure. happen. Yeah. No, that makes because, sense. Because, right. Because, like, the reason you would do that is so that you have a a, a, a pattern, you right. you maximize Fitz's law, you're able to give people something to work with and understand what's going on. That's incredibly important. But companies don't want to. They would like to have distinct interfaces, distinct yeah. experiences. They they want to be memorable mm. and they wanna be sticky. And so everybody tries to do something a little different so that they can be distinct.
0: Yeah. No, that, that definitely makes sense. That definitely makes sense. Um One of the things you mentioned along your like early journey was dual booting Ubuntu and Fedora at the same time. Why were you doing that rather than just sticking with one or the other? If you happen to remember? I do. I'm trying to think
1: about how to phrase this. Okay. Um Ubuntu was great for the consumption side of things, right? Because, like, it was at the okay, you got to remember the context of this. At this time, okay. Wi-Fi was still difficult yeah, on Linux, okay. so it was great for consumption. It was an easy mode that I needed if I needed to get quickly into my computer and do stuff. Mm-hmm. But my passion and my my interest in actually like doing stuff for real was always in Fedora, and mm-hmm. so I kept both because I wanted to I wanted to see if I could make it so I could use one fully, and so um, Ubuntu was a a. a a distribution that I really couldn't get involved in and I couldn't really get engaged in. And there was, right. it was very closed off from, for me as someone who exists outside right. of the purview of the core Ubuntu team. Right. Um, and that is still kind of true even today. Although they're, they're a little bit more open now than they used to be, it's ultimately still canonical's decisions about what goes on and right. everything. Right. Even the community flavors are subject to that. Yeah. Right. The, the excising of Flatpak from all yeah, the flavors yeah. recently was an example of this, right? So um, the model that Fedora has is more forgiving and more community centric. Mm-hmm. There's this, again, this, this kind of boils down to the philosophies between Canonical and Red Hat. So if you look at, at Red Hat's philosophy, there's this distinction of a project and a product. Mm-hmm. And this distinction ha- manifests in several key ways. The most important key way is that projects are not tightly coupled to, corp- to the company decisions. Products are. Mm-hmm. And so you see projects taking lives of their own and getting more stakeholders and becoming more neutral over time. Mm-hmm. They don't start out that way, but they grow to be more neutral over time. and. Red Hat in, in some respects is essentially a dispassionate investor Mm -hmm. that, that essentially keeps a project afloat and that, that model maximizes community engagement and participation and support. And then you look at, um, uh, and then you look at things like, you know, the different, um, spins and remixes and stuff like that. Right. Most recently I did the Fedora Sahi remix. Oh but you know Oh were you involved
0: in... right I know you're in the SIG now, but were you initially in the... I made the SIG. Oh you you made the SIG. Oh, yeah. oh you just forgot to list it. Okay. Yeah. I forgot to list it until a couple All of years. Oh so weeks you're ago the guy or... so. to thank for that. I didn't realize that. Well, so in the
1: Asahi Linux announcement, they mention, you know, me by name, which oh, is still forgot weird. To read it. <laughs> I'm sure yeah, I have, it, heard it, about it. it. Yeah, so I created it. <laughs> Uh, I, I created the sig um and I, I helped create uh, I I helped with um uh, a friend of mine Davida Kalvica mm-hmm. you know we we got all the software pulled into Fedora and getting it integrated and then I helped I made the uh the image descriptions and I work on the tooling along with Davida and a few others to actually build it out mm-hmm. um but like that's something that is super easy to do in Fedora because all the tooling is open. All the infrastructure is open. All the possibilities are open. Mm-hmm. Like, whereas... And, and, like, this is also, like, all the different spins that exist. The Fedora KD spin, Fedora Kinoite. Um, you see the Cinnamon XFC, the LXQ, all the labs, Python Classroom, um, Astronomy, um, Games Lab. These, If you try to listen to we'll
0: be here all night.
1: <laughs> we'll be here all night, yes. There's a lot of them. I think it's, like... I think we're up to, like, almost... 30 deliverables. I don't Jeez. know, man. There's a lot. There's a lot. <laughs> I'm not even talking about like the containers and the cloud images and all the variants. And all. Yeah, no. Like there's a lot going on there. But um, but it, but because of that project product split, mm-hmm. so Red Hat Enterprise Linux is very, very small compared to Fedora. There's like I think a 20th of the packages, 10th or a 20th of the packages. Mm-hmm. The deliverables are considerably smaller. RHEL doesn't provide live images. Rel doesn't provide other desktops anymore. They used to have KDE. I'm super sad that they got rid of it. I would love to see it come back again someday. They don't have ButterFS. ButterFS is amazing. Again, I hope it comes back someday. Um, but But they make choices mm-hmm. of their own. And Fedora is not required to follow Red Hat in that respect. There are obviously a few guardrails. um, But again, Red Hat acts more as a dispassionate investor Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. in in the project sponsored by Red Hat. And that's a very important thing. Whereas if you look at Ubuntu, it is a canonical product that also manifests itself as a project. But because they are one in the same brand, they are one in the same community, one in the same thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Canonical ultimately has to exert um, tremendous influence and control because that's the thing that they're pitching. That's the thing that they're selling. That's the thing that they're building their business on directly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Because they're, and, and this strategy also makes sense because ultimately Ubuntu is derived from Debian. Right in the early days, in the very beginning, the, and I think it's still true even now. Like if you go look at contributing Ubuntu um, stuff, mm. uh, they will tell you go to Debian.
0: I've contributed to Debian. That is a whole process in itself. Um, in regards to that, I don't think a lot of people realize like how much of Debian nowadays is canonical employees actually contributing upstream to Debian. Well, so, and again, this comes back to the project product split thing, Mm -hmm. because
1: Ubuntu's input is exclusively Debian with some exceptions. The way that even canonical employees do stuff like, so for example, the Gnome stack in Debian is essentially Mm -hmm. maintained by canonical employees. So Gnome gets upgraded on Ubuntu's schedule in Debian and then imported from Debian back into Ubuntu. Right so things like that things that they care about in ubuntu that they that they as a team maintain like i believe i think i don't know this for certain it's been a while since i've last checked but i believe one of the kernel maintainers for debian is actually a canonical employee who happens also maintain the ubuntu kernel and so they do some work shared between the two um there's other stuff like this like some packages of course that are things that like NetPlan and whatever, like they maintain those in Ubuntu, but to do that, they also have to maintain it in Debian. And like, even though there's a, a, you know, they're maintaining their own packaging for Ubuntu, Mm -hmm. they're required to have a package in Debian. So they have a very, uh, they don't consider Ubuntu, at least in their actions, I don't know if that's how they feel about it, like in words or say, but Mm -hmm. I don't think they consider Ubuntu distinctly a project in its own right. It's more of a productization of Debian, which I think mm-hmm. is a fair characterization of it. Um, but the problem is that Debian's toolings is pretty antiquated and it's really um, if you think like it is I know some people have made the comment of like Fedora's infrastructure is all like loosely coupled and like kind of arcane and difficult to follow. I'm like, man, you it can be so much worse um it can be so much worse uh it could be better but it could also be worse um and i i in my view like seeing how things work in debian i feel like debian is worse Mm -hmm. because um the way that debian does things is that each individual maintainer has essentially total control of how that package is maintained. Right. They can they're they can choose to not use source control. They don't have to use git or svn or mercurial or whatever. They can just upload stuff right into the uh, to what they call the archive right. and the ftp masters, which is a team that manages uploads from debian developers and maintainers, checks it over and then imports it into the into the repositories. Mm-hmm. They don't care how it's produced. As mm-hmm. long as they give them the required inputs, the required artifacts. Um, so I've had to deal with Debian packages that have no version control. I've had to deal with Debian packages that have weird version control right. because because it's just not. Uh, there's no consistency requirements for Debian. It's it's that is that's how worse you can get. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, so Ubuntu I think doesn't feel it's as and because of this distinction of Ubuntu versus Fedora. Right, I've always felt like I've had more ownership of my platform in Fedora than Mm -hmm. Ubuntu. And so I've always leaned a little bit more towards Fedora, but I'm also a pragmatist uh, in the sense that like, if something is gonna work in a particular context or an environment, and I really can't use what I prefer there, I will use the other thing instead. And so uh, for a long time, I wound up using Ubuntu for stuff that where nothing else worked because that was what worked. Mm -hmm. Um, I always tried to use it as an opportunity to learn to see if I can fix my thing too. Um, and that's kind of how we got started doing all these things in multiple distributions. Uh, eventually, one of the things that I came to figure out was that if I wanted to do something well, if I wanted to do something right, I have to do some. I have to provide the maximally useful, minimal viable solution. Mm-hmm. And the way that that works is I have to think about the different distributions uh, that I that I use and work with and interface with. And I think about the solutions I'm making and see what the requirements of all the different ones are mm-hmm. before I make something. And then I go make something and put it in all of them. Uh, because if I don't do it that way, what winds up happening is you create these little islands of inconsistency and you create these different, um, you get these different ways of solving the problem in different, in different thought processes, not necessarily in a way that multiple, uh, like the whole community can benefit, but only some communities can benefit. Uh, and so, like for example, Fedora's multimedia
0: stuff—that's
1: mm-hmm. actually I, I like—I took a good chunk of what what I did in Fedora from OpenSUSE, and then the improvements I did in Open in Fedora from I ported back to OpenSUSE. Right. And so, like for me, it's not about making just one platform better or the other; it's about making the whole community benefit from all the stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I try to make something, like I'm not going to go out. Super crazy and go do it for everybody. Like, there's just too much Linux for that.
0: Shows 37 like, so time I, in the day. I,
1: yeah, but I will try to at least have more than one. Mm-hmm. That uh, like, so I try to make something. I try to make things that work for Fedora and OpenSUSE at least, and see if I can extend it further. Or at least I'll talk to other people and say like, Hey, this is something I did on across more than one distribution. Do you think this could help for you and whatever? Um, And as it turns out, when you build something that's in more than one distribution already, if it's in two, it's easier to get it to three, to then four, to then eight, to then all of them. Right. So you can create, you can accelerate that snowball effect and that network effect. An example of this was, um, gosh, I think it was like almost six, I want to say six years ago or something like that I made the change in Fedora from the old package config implementation. So the package config is a tool that you use in development to be able to find out compiler flags for using a library or a module or something for building a project. We use this all the time, all over the place in Linux land. There were, there are multiple implementations of package config. Mm-hmm. So the one that Fedora was using was some old version that was originally made by Debian and then part of GNOME and then part of Free desktop it's all over the place. Um, wasn't super actively maintained, um, kind of a pain to to work with and, and and customize. And at the time, I was looking at, like, how can I make it easier for me to support more features and more capabilities and also to be able to bootstrap into new architecture of the platforms? Package config had a recursive bootstrap problem, which was not great. And so taking that out was important. Well, there was this implementation, uh, another implementation of package config called package comp, P-K-G-C-O-N-F and i met the maintainer the developer of it so that was from 2017
0: uh, ish yeah yep, okay i found yep. the uh, the wiki page
1: yep uh and um the the maintainer who now is Ariadne the 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 lead of Alpine
0: ah yep yep, she,
1: yep yeah so she created um back then she hadn't transitioned and i knew her by a different name but that's that's not important but like uh, so if if you find references to an old name in there, it's because well, mm. I'm I'm trying not to dead name, but if you if you look up the history and go through it,
0: Sure, sure. if you will be confused up from six of... years ago, yeah yeah.
1: <laughs> but uh, Ariadne, who created Alpine and and APK and also created PackageConf, and so I worked with her to like address any things that I felt that we needed for Fedora, and then we swapped the implementation. Then I introduced it in OpenSUSE and I got them to swap the implementation. And then I did it in Magia, and got them to swap the implementation. And after three, essentially all the major distributions had swapped, and we've gotten to a point now that people were just in on their own switching. So then OpenMandriva did it, and then um, and then Debian finally—I think it was like a couple of years ago—they they finally pulled the trigger on it. There was a whole there's a whole other set of background reasons for why it took so long for Debian. Not going to get into it. But uh, but they did it finally, and so package config essentially replaced package config. Uh, it's also started replacing it in BSDs too, because the it's it's um, not. Uh, I'm a copyleft guy. Uh, Ariadne is not so much, so she wrote it and licensed it in a permissive license. BSD mm-hmm. people like permissive licenses, so it was do. an easy easy win for them. Um. So that's kind of like, that was my first real experience doing that. I was like, oh, this works. And so I just started doing it for everything. Um, And like the ButterFS stuff that we did and that I've done in Fedora with a bunch of other people, um, like several years later uh, in 2020 for Fedora was very much inspired by not only the experiences I had um, during my day job at the time from dealing with ZFS and ButterFS, but also from using OpenSUSE, doing my own experiments, working with 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 Butterfs, and coming up with the right way to, to adopt it mm-hmm. and building on that to put it in. Obviously, the implementation of Butterfs and Fedora is different from OpenSUSE because there's a number of things that I left out on purpose. Things like the automatic snapshotting and whatever, because figuring out the schemes for doing that are is highly distro specific. And 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 so, like, the SUSE implementation of this doesn't work on Fedora, mm-hmm. not completely. So there's adaptations and other stuff you have to deal with. But it's always been a goal to be able to get to a point where we can have full system snapshotting and stuff like that. But you have to start somewhere. And so that was the starting somewhere. And... Again, I, I, every solution I've worked on so far has been like, let, let's try to reduce the differences. Let's try to improve things. I introduced DNF as an alternative package manager in Magia in like 2015, 2016. And I also introduced it in OpenSUSE I think a few years after that. Mm-hmm. Um, I On all of my OpenSUSE and Magia systems, I use DNF uh, instead of in the case of OpenSUSE, Zipper, in the case of Magia, URPMI. I actually, from that experience, was able to help the Open Mandriva guys move from your Mind to DNF, which then led to Rosa moving to DNF and a bunch of other distributions moving to, I think, like Open Mamba moved to DNF. There was a few others. That, like, I apparently wound up becoming the de facto guy of, like, how do you move an RPM package distribution <laughs> to DNF? And it's happened a lot. Like, I also helped the Yocto folks move from Smart, which was an old unmaintained package manager, I've written never by the guy who created Snaps. Yeah. So, Gustavo Niemeyer, when he was at um, Connectiva later Mandriva, he made the success. He made a successor to APT RPM called Smart, and the reason why was because APT RPM was a pain in the butt to develop and maintain. And at the time, this was like seventeen years ago or something like that. Um, the Debian people refused, out of principle, to consider having an RPM backend for apt just flat out just said, no, right. <laughs> there was all kinds of weird, funky politics. I think most of it's not written down. I got, it, I got, Sad. I got fun stories from the people that were involved in it over the years. It's always fun when stuff um, like that
0: is just, it's just littered over the list. It's not written down like that. That takes away all my fun.
1: <laughs> yeah. But, uh, they just straight up wouldn't consider it. They didn't want it. They, and so like apt, RPM wound up being a very difficult to maintain fork. Mm -hmm. And so Gustavo Niemeyer then went and tried to solve the problem by making a brand new package manager that supported multiple different repo sources, different package manager types. Like I think back in the beginning, it was like Slackware and RPM and Debian. And I think now it supports our, I want to say it supports arch packages. It's still a very dead project now, but like at some point, somebody added arch packages, I think to the mix. Um, I don't remember anymore. It's been a long time. But anyway, Gustavo Niemeyer made that, and mm-hmm. uh, and that was what brought him to canonical eventually. And though Ubuntu was originally planning on adopting Smart, there was a f- kind of a revolt about it, and so they didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know more details about that, but that I was assume the thing. that's related to
0: the Debian <laughs> stuff in some way.
1: Probably, um, but. Uh, so they didn't adopt Smart, but Gustavo stayed at Canonical, and eventually, I think it's like, I don't know, it's like a few years later, he made clicks and snaps. And now the dude's the CTO of Canonical. Oh, wait. So <laughs> I thought I'd heard that name. Yeah. Gustavo Niemeyer, I I remember I, the few Canonical employees I've known at the time that used to call him the Mark Whisperer. And I guess, oh, that's very true. He's now the CTO, so he gets to work with them all day. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I knew that name. Yeah, okay, wow. Jeez. I've been all over,
1: man. (laughs) I used to be involved very early early on in the Snap project. I was a Snap uh, format oversight board, which we didn't really do much. I think the only thing we actually managed to do was get them to use SPDX notation for license tags. Mm -hmm. I think that was it. We got them to do license tags, and we got them to be AppStream compatible, sort of. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was it um we didn't get to do much else but i was involved in the snap project i helped uh make snapd work on fedora Mm -hmm. i was effectively the maintainer of the snap system in fedora for many many years i still technically am nominally the maintainer of it uh and i still occasionally do stuff for it but it's it's a lot of it kind of goes on its own kind of thing now is Um, there even
0: like that many people interested in snapd on fedora in the first place
1: in the beginning, there was a lot of it. And also there was a big part of like, you don't know which horse to bet on and you don't want sure. to be on the losing horse. And you also want to always have some influence on on every horse that's involved in the race. Right. So there were always, there was obviously a lot of people who were interested in Flat Pack because it was a Red Hat project and Red Hatters control the workstation working group, which drive that part. So it's so of course, the whole thing. It's also Gnome associated, whole other set of things, right? But... Canonical did something that made snaps more viable. Mm-hmm. That was that they reached out to commercial entities and got them to put their snaps in the snap yep. store. So at that point in time, I was a little worried that we were going to get locked out if we didn't have something in place. And it's not like the snap system's is all bad. Like there's, there are things I don't like about it, but one of the things I do like about it is that the developer experience is way nicer mm-hmm. than any other universal packaging format. Snapcraft is a pretty good experience compared to say flat pack builder or the app image builder and all those other things um they really put some thought into that um but because they were building these professional you know these professional snaps that are available in the snap stores like well we got to be able to access them mm-hmm. like we have to have access to that Yeah, content. we have
0: serious projects in here like slack and spotify and the right. uh... Uh, the jet brain stuff is in here as well, and all of these other, like, you know, big things people recognize,
1: right? Uh, and I like, I'd been to a couple of those sprints where representatives of those companies were working with Canonical hand in hand to make and maintain them, right? So, like, uh, I don't think that that was a wrong choice for me to make sure that snaps worked well in Fedora because I didn't know then which one was going to win out, and more importantly, it. Flatpack still hasn't won. None of those companies that are making snaps now are making flat packs. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason, they're not doing it. So, I think it was still the right choice to do that, and it makes sense for us to be in that space to make sure that we are able to do that. Um, I, I totally. Get, I was going to.
0: Uh, sorry, I was, was going to say I, I totally get like having it be in that space. I was more curious about like. Because I'm not involved like in much of the Toro community. I'm sort of watching it from the outside. Like, How much sure. of the like user interest there is in Snaps in the first place?
1: I think at the beginning, there was a lot more of it. It kind of died down over time as the continued pressure and marketing attention. Like, somebody finally figured out that Flatpak needed to be marketed. Sure, sure. And, and, and Flathub too. And so that eventually started... Um, I think that started... You know defaults matter, and and Fedora Workstation, had, with with flatpak out of the box and an w- easy button to activate FlatHub, mm-hmm. was a big deal. And uh, that that and then like there were spats with people who were maintaining GNOME software. There were spats with people upstream. There was just, just a whole mess that made, you know, my life as the snap system maintainer in Fedora a little bit more difficult than it needed to be. Um, but, you know, I still know people who use snaps in Fedora. Like, I mean, some of my, you know, colleagues in, in, in the past, like, they use Fedora, but they also use snaps because that's the way to get those things. Right. Um, it, it is what it is. Like, from the Flatpak side, I think Red Hat making a long-term stable flat pack runtime, mm-hmm. making that available for people to build software freely on it and making it available, say on FlatHub, getting the desktop software that's included in RHEL into their universal base image stuff, that will make a big difference if they decide to do it. Like I know there's been hints and rumors about it for years. I don't know if they'll actually pull it off at some point. If they do, um, I think it will, it'll be the tipping point that will make companies want to build commercial flat packs because the problem with, with flat packs right now is long-term support for an application. Mm-hmm. A commercial application is required, right. just flat out required. You can't not have that. Um, but community, the, the flat hub community just isn't equipped to do that. Mm-hmm. They don't have, and the free desktop runtime is not aimed for that. It is just not. So you've got to have something for that. Red Hat makes a flat pack runtime. Mm-hmm. They, build Flatpak apps on that runtime. It's in the Red Hat catalog. And if you are a RHEL subscriber, whether you have a free one or a paid one, you have access to those apps. But I haven't seen much beyond, you know, Red Hat produced stuff. We'll see how that goes. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe they'll make a big push with RHEL 10, which is coming in a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, But who knows? (laughs) Who knows?
0: (laughs) Maybe, look. Maybe look, it could happen. Uh, it would be cool. I, it I definitely, definitely would I, be cool. I,
1: I hope they do because like I want I want Red Hat to I want Red Hat to, to do something
0: mm-hmm.
1: more engaging in the desktop space. Right. And, and in the uh and and in the professional desktop space, there's a lot of there's a lot on that pie that that, that they're not they're not slicing up and, and taking taking on. So there's there's definitely some stuff that they could do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the professional uh, desktop space really, like it. It's really weird because you've got like this massive amount of systems that it's focused on, like just you know hobby individual stuff, and then you got Red Hat, you got SuSE, you got all of that doing like the big serious stuff, but nobody's really targeting that the middle middle that middle point there. Yeah. Um, well, I think SUSE is probably the
1: closest. They have mm-hmm. SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop. Right. Which is essentially... Uh, or or SLED, as they like to call That's
0: it. That's what they call it. Please, yep. please don't call it that. That's not a good name.
1: It's, you're sledding on Linux. It's fine. Sure. Okay.
0: <laughs> I guess, you know, yeah. Penguin, all that stuff.
1: Yep, sure. Um, so... Um, SUSE Linux Enterprise Desktop is mm-hmm. an offering that they have. You can go to their website sousa.com/slash shop and it actually shows up there. You can buy it. I think it's like 150 bucks a year for it. It's not a lot. Um, and you get a desktop mm-hmm. that is supported, and you can do stuff with it.
0: I hope you can um, do stuff with it for $150. I a hope you can
1: do stuff with it too. But um, <laughs> But like it exists on there. Red Hat used to have an equivalent called Red Hat Enterprise Linux Desktop. They took it out, they, they killed it in RHEL 8 and mm-hmm. um, they moved more high end. But SUSE still has a mid range product as well as a high end one. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like I would, I wish the awareness for these, like, you know, if you go to redhat.com slash store or SUSE.com slash shop, you actually can purchase subscriptions for paid Linux desktop offerings or Linux workstation or whatever you want to call it. Right. And that gives you an opportunity to not only use a supported platform, you know, in a professional context that can be important, but you're also essentially funding and supporting the stuff that they're already doing. And you're also telling with your dollars that this matters. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's like Gnome, you know, if you like Gnome, sure. You can donate to the Gnome foundation. Gnome Foundation don't pay for anybody to develop anything. That's mostly done by Red Hat and SUSE engineers with Collabora and Purism also on the side there. So, yeah, like that's, there. there's a lot going on there and it's it's just so hidden and we don't talk about it a lot because we're always excited about the community free Linux mm-hmm. stuff because community sure. Linux stuff is where all the cool stuff happens and there's just so much to to go on about. And the enterprise space is supposed to be boring. I don't know if boring is the way I would describe the past three years <laughs> of Enterprise Linux, but like She's it's been supposed for the last to be three
0: months, really.
1: Oh man, three the last three months have been horrible. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. <laughs> but no, you are but right. But like you are right. Ever since ever since the CentOS stuff. That's from... it's it's very oh, fun times. It, fun times. Uh, yes. It has been a very exciting time, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> At least people now know it exists. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, good any publicity is good publicity. I, uh, anyone who says that's stupid, but you yeah, know, they I don't. Say it.
1: I don't think that that's a that's a true statement. It's
0: definitely not. No. <laughs>
1: um. But yeah, like uh, the. But the, this kind of goes back to the, the thing. It's like. The desktop space is very interesting, mm-hmm. and when I was and I've always been very mindful that this is a, a space that is undervalued and under worked on. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've I've increasingly put a lot of effort towards it because um, my belief is that um, with open source, it, you have two choices: mm-hmm. you can either pay, you can either pay with effort and 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 knowledge and contribution or you can pay with money.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So I do both. And but where I can, where I have the capability to do something meaningful, I pay with effort and 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 time and contributions. Mm-hmm. But where I can't, I'm happy to give money to worthy projects that I use and love and want to support. Mm-hmm. Uh and And I encourage other people to to take the same tack because that's the only way that this world this world gets any better. Like we talk a lot about sustainability in open source. And like for all the screw ups in Red Hat's messaging around CentOS, I think it's important to 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 note that, like if Red Hat Enterprise Linux as a product mm-hmm. was not being eaten away by um, rel derivatives that are freely available. It is quite likely they'd be doing a whole lot more in this space than they are now, mm-hmm. because they would have the revenue, and the justification to do stuff in there. There's a whole long series of of events that I've heard from many people because at one point, one of my in one of my previous jobs, one of my coworkers was the formal former GM of Souza. I got to hear all kinds of stories. <laughs> like uh, like I like it is a wild wild world in the early 2000s. Uh and it's just like I think I'm glad I was ignorant of most of this cuz I don't think that this was, this would have made me a very sad person very, <laughs> if I would knew this during that time. But um yeah, like uh I look at what's going on in there and I'm just like, yeah, I love free Linux, but I also like put my heart and soul into the community operating systems and do a lot in there because that's how I make, that's how I give back and that's how right. I support those communities. Um, I think people need to understand that, that like nothing comes for free. And, and that's really, really difficult for some people to grasp, especially now that we've been 20 years of open source. Open source hasn't won, but it's certainly everywhere,
0: Mm
1: -hmm. and that and and that might actually be the saddest fact of all.
0: I think the only concern, like, not the only the the major concern people had with all like all the CentOS stuff, and then the recent uh, the recent stuff that happened with Red Hat, is the fact that it just Mm -hmm. happened like it. I'm sure they had like a lot of conversation internally, but to the what it was shown to the public, it just happened suddenly. It's not okay. So until like there's like a six month grace period, like a next release grace period, anything like that. It's just like this goes back to what you're saying with the the messaging around it was yeah you know, a bit rough. Um, I obviously people are gonna be angry no matter what happens, but. If there's some sort of grace period there, I'm sure it would have gone over a lot l- less uh, aggressively. Uh, hmm
1: Well, you know, the Red Hatters were surprised, too, so... <laughs> yeah,
0: okay. You are right about the other uh, messaging, then. <laughs> <laughs> like, if you, like,
1: isn't it, like... Many red hatters, you know, talking in social media or in IRC or in Matrix or wherever, mm-hmm. they're upfront about the fact that they didn't know either, mm-hmm. and they've all got their own opinions about it. But they're all, everyone is surprised. Yeah. So, you know, every it, like the other thing is like you got to remember that Red Hat's made of a lot of people, and while Red Hat, Red Hat's not this big faceless blob, it's a lot of blobs with faces, and then some small group of faceless blobs.
0: So it's it's hard. Well I always try to make it clear whenever I do talk about the Red Hat stuff, the engineers, the people out there that are doing like the their work on these projects, they are not the ones making these decisions in corporate. Like I've I recently had um Gloria Segar on the show, I've had Matthew Miller on the show, um, I'm sure there are other Red Hat people that I'm blanking on right now that I've had on the show. You're not at Red Hat right now, so you don't technically count. Um, but you were at Red Hat Um, but I try to make it very clear that when I talk about the Red Hat stuff the people in Enterprise the people who are making those financial decisions those are not the people that are in the GNOME project that are in the Fedora project they're in all of these projects doing awesome things they're just trying Mm -hmm. to make really cool code and really cool projects don't blame them for what for the decisions that corporate either needs to make or feels like they need to be making.
1: But it also comes back to the other part of this, which is, you know, I mentioned earlier, but, you know, you either pay with effort or you pay with money. Mm-hmm. A lot of people choose to do neither. Right. And that's a problem. Yeah. Uh, yeah. that That's a real problem. It's, it's a huge, huge problem that... Users don't... Like, oh, users of open source software just don't get... They don't hmm. understand it because, because they look at it like any other, the formal you know U.S. government term. I, I worked in the defense adjacent thing, so I know this term is COTS, commercial off-the-shelf software. Mm-hmm. They look at, like, it's, for a lot of companies, they define open source and, and, and proprietary renders in the same bucket. Mm-hmm. It just happens to be the cost for an open source solution is often zero. And maybe there's a preference for an open source system. They don't truly understand what that means. And Mm -hmm. they don't it's very complicated stuff, but like they don't choose to do it, put anything back into supporting the things that support them. Right. And it's a it's a very big problem that has led to a ton of challenges in. In in various spaces in open source, but it's. The biggest place that I think it hurts the most is in the desktop Linux space, where it's more labor of love than it is some kind of commercial venture. Mm-hmm. While it's true that a huge chunk of desktop Linux developers are paid, even more of them are
0: not. Yeah. I can't speak on any specific cases on desktop Linux, but I know there have been cases of developers of massive JavaScript libraries who, like, these some of these libraries being used by like Amazon, eBay, like some of these massive, massive platforms. And I'm sure you've heard some of the stories of people that are just like, you know what? I'm just, I'm I'm just sick. I'm just done with this. I'm, I'm not going to, yep. I'm not going to support this anymore. If, if these companies are going to use this and not do anything, like not support, not send anything upstream, not donate like small amount, like anything at all. Like, why? Like, I, and I get it. I, I get the whole, the doing the, everything is a labor of love. But at the end of the day, you need to pay your rent. And if you need food. Yeah. If you can't pay your bills, like, <clears throat> it's all well and good to say that it's, it would be, look, it would be great if everybody could just do this, like, out of love and just enjoy every moment of what they're doing. But that's just not the world we live in like at the end of the day you have bills you have to I pay i want that world so bad though <laughs> i imagine it, it, like yeah no
1: i i've never been paid in my uh, like outside of some very brief spurts where like open source and professional day job work has like overlapped a little bit mm-hmm. i've actually never paid for my open source work all of the open source work i do nights and weekends side contributions Nothing, nothing for like most of my jobs, just nope. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they align a few times, but the majority of it, it doesn't. And, and it's been that way for me ever since I started doing this. Mm -hmm. I have never found that magical moment. Like there have been people that are super lucky and they've got this magical moment where the thing that they enjoy doing, they get to get paid to do it. And, and, and it just supercharges their success. And I'm so happy for them. I have never been that fortunate um, and a lot of people are even less fortunate than I am. It is really really difficult. Um, and it's a topic I care a lot about and like it it if we don't have people change their attitudes around how we talk about sustainability and how we actually do sustainability, we ain't gonna have a lot left. The JavaScript world is a very extreme version of what we have in the desktop Linux yeah. world. Um, they are the they are our end game if if something doesn't change
0: mm-hmm.
1: um i hope something changes
0: mm-hmm. because i don't want that end game with all that being said i do think there is still there is still a place there for like i don't want to see a world where everything in in the open source world becomes you ha- it has to be monetized to use like i still think there sure. is I still think there is a place because there are, for people out there who are, you know, in developing nations, they don't have that much time or money, but they need some sort of computing system. And I think there is absolutely a place for those people to get a good computing experience entirely for free, where otherwise they just simply wouldn't be able to have one. Well sure. Look, I would just love
1: for us to get to the 80-20 rule when it comes to for when it comes to being able to pay things. Sure. Pay for things. If twenty percent of the people that actually use this stuff pay for it, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Right now, that is not the case. Yeah. I yeah. think it's like close, less than one percent, maybe.
0: I yeah, I'd be surprised <laughs> if it was even one percent for a lot of things. Yeah. Like right. you've stand-out so... projects for sure, but like the your general the... projects definitely No.
1: Right, like if if we approached the if we got to like the eighty twenty rule started applying to to open source stuff, that would be fantastic. I, I like I agree with you. Like as a kid, like there was no way I was going to be able to afford any of this stuff that I'm doing. Like, but if I had the free access to a compiler, the free access to Emacs and open source software and Linux, that changed my life.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, and and I know that it changes the lives of other people all over the world. Otherwise, I wouldn't be doing this. Right. So. Because like the reason I'm doing this is to pay it forward. It changed my life. It made my career. I became very successful for a you know, and I want other people to have the opportunity for that success. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I want to pay it forward, and that's that's how I do it. Um, so I, I like I don't want to say that it should be hundred percent monetized for all the things, and if you can't afford it, then you you you're SOL. No, but there should always be. Affordable tier contribution options with money. There mm-hmm. should always be high end tier contribution options with money. And there should always be freely available tier where you have the opportunity to contribute with effort, time, advocacy, yep, yep. all this other stuff.
0: I think one of the problems that a lot of projects face is finding a way to, like, obviously, the development side, that's easy. Like, have a repo there, people can swap with code. But I find a lot of projects just don't really know how to bring the money. Like, they'll usually have, like, you know, we have GitHub sponsors, we have a Patreon, we have this, we have that. But, like, you don't... You know, if you just download something from your repos, you're probably not going to go check out the GitHub or check out anything else. It's like, you need some... Maybe, like, you know, something in your About section in the app just... A lot of projects just simply don't have a clear way on how you can support the project in the app itself. I think it's because we don't have a normalized pattern of how to
1: introduce an application to people. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I'm happy that both Gnome and Plasma started doing is having these welcome wizards for their desktops. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't know if you've seen it recently for for KD Plasma. In Fedora KD, this is enabled and you can check it out now. Mm -hmm. As you go through it, it actually tells you about KDEV. gives you a link to donate and, and to be, and, and things like that. Like Conky is shown They you have a fun message about it and everything. GNOME doesn't have an equivalent in GNOME Tour. Although admittedly, I don't know if it would even help because again, GNOME Foundation didn't pay for anything other than the infrastructure. Um, but you know they could do stuff like that. It, it's always possible. Um, most applications, at least from GNOME and KDE, their about dialogs include that information. Um, if they have a wizard of some kind, they'll often like have a little sponsor link or whatever. Some bigger applications like OBS Studio have these as well, where they mention it. But we haven't really normalized um, a, a, a pattern that everyone should that can adopt that users are expected to see. Where they're introduced to the funding side of the house, right? Right. Um, The current shtick going on right now is like, oh, let's put this into FlatHub, let's have the software centers handle this, and whatever. This is super complicated. This is incredibly difficult to do right, and it can actually very easily go wrong. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, at least FlatHub's now moving to its own legal entity and all that other stuff. But like, payment processing is a mess. If you're gonna be a publisher and a mediator, it's a whole new set of problems. You also have a whole new set of liabilities. Mm-hmm. Cause now you have to actually like audit the content. Yeah. You have to make sure there's a whole lot of extra things. And, and let me tell you right now, some of the people that are running this stuff, they feel that they don't need to do any of that sort of thing. And I promise you,
0: they definitely do. <laughs> See, you, look, This is what YouTube thought, what Twitch thought in the early days, you know, go back to like 2007 YouTube where it's like music videos, re-upload, whatever, do whatever you want. Movies, fine. All it took was a few lawsuits and everything changed. Yeah, yeah. You get away with it until you get a little bit too big. Then you stop getting away with it. Yep. It's uh,
1: like, it's, it's a challenging problem, but it's also one that like... So, it, it it's, my gut feel about it is that FlatHub and GNOME aren't motivated to really solve this problem because mm-hmm. most of their developers are paid. And most of their developers work for large companies that could not care. Right. Um, or if they do care, they care in a very specific way that doesn't really matter for the general case.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: In the KDE side, it's a bit of a mixed bag, right? Like, there's a lot of people that do volunteer stuff. There's a lot. There's a mix, a bigger mix of volunteer versus paid, but there's also like a coherency problem. Like, how do we have uh, a defined vision for how we want to handle this? And ultimately, like, for better or worse, some of the stuff that 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 we're we're doing in KE, like around flat packs and stuff like that, we're totally dependent on what Gnome chooses to do too. Mm-hmm. Like because Flathub is effectively run by Gnome, so is the Flatpak project. AppStream, while the AppStream project is kind to KDE, the main folks who work on that project are all Gnome people. And so there's all, like, the set of concerns, and, and, and there's really not that many people outside of the Gnome and KDE camps even doing anything at all in this space to figure this out. And so that makes things even more difficult. Like for example, I don't know what the heck's up with Mate. I I, I don't know what like I know Clem's doing his, his shtick with cinnamon, but I don't know right. how that's gonna go either. Uh, <laughs> what do you and, mean
0: like what do you mean about that?
1: Well, so Clem's Clem's shtick with cinnamon is like Linux Mint. Right, right. Is essentially like it it lives off of sponsorships and donations from people. And they've got a lot of it because they've been doing it for so long. So mm. that's got their, they've got their own funding thing going sure, on sure. based on that. Mate, I have no idea what they're doing. I like I also haven't seen anything come out of them in a while,
0: and I'm a little worried about them. I know Mate was like I know they're working on wayland stuff, so clearly they're doing something. Yeah, sure. they're
1: they're working on something. I don't they they so they I think the goal is that XFC 4.20. Mm-hmm. Is going to be is going to ship with Wayland a Wayland session. That's their that's their blocker right now.
0: <laughs> I've read the word. I have. know
1: what you're. I know what you're thinking.
0: Look, look. I'm it's sure that's coincidence. Sh- uh-huh. <laughs> oh, I didn't even notice that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there you go.
0: You get to break down properly okay. now. <laughs> God damn it! No, I didn't know. I. <laughs> I, look, I'll be impressed if Exodus ships a Wayland compositor. It... So they're they're like halfway through a port of
1: XFWM4 to to oh, be back. Oh, they're based further on than I thought they were. Yeah, so like all the other stuff's done. Like they ported all the panels and the file manager and all that stuff to run on X on on Wayland. Mm-hmm. They just don't have a compositor, and they've yeah, yeah, been working that's... on it for a couple of years now.
0: I think Mate's in a similar position. Like all of their apps work on Wayland. All well, done. They yeah. just
1: don't have a compositor. Well, no, Mate, they haven't ported the panel yet to um, to Wayland yeah. yet, but all the other stuff is done. Yes, uh, so XFC is slightly further ahead, but they just haven't got um, they haven't gotten their XFWM four, I think mm-hmm. is what it's called, the XFC window manager. Mm-hmm. Um, that thing is like halfway through a port to Wayland. Um, they're using WL roots for it, and and they've just been reworking it so that it can also run in, as a Wayland compositor. Mm-hmm. Um, for for Mate, gosh, a long time ago, their strategy was to adopt Mir. And then the guy <laughs> who was, like, running that effort, like, left Canonical.
0: And so I don't know what's going on. Oh, <laughs> uh, mm. what a... <laughs> i always forget the mirror existed what a fun time well
1: i mean mate adopting mirror is the reason why i have it in fedora because i put it there for them so that they would be able to have a compositor because their role is that they want to work on they want to use something that supported multiple distributions right i like the mirror guys they're nice people um and so i packaged up their software for fedora and it's been in fedora since i think like 27 or something like that it's been a- there for a while mm. nobody knows it's there i guess but it's been there for a while it was there so that the MATE people would be okay with adopting it because they were, because um, Martin Wimpress, that was it. He mm. was the Ubuntu MATE guy. Um, he was working with the MIR team to develop a Wayland compositor um, for Ma- Ubuntu MATE. And that was going to be part of the MATE project using MIR. Unfortunately, I don't know what happened after he left Canonical, so I don't, I don't know what they're going to do.
0: RPM's MIR created five years ago, maintained by NGOMPA. Yeah. Well, yeah, hey, if for some reason someone wants to use that, go. it's it's there. It's on Fedora 40.
1: Yeah, it's, it's there. It's been there for a while. It's even mentioned in the official Mir documentation that I think nobody reads.
0: <laughs> uh, I don't want to be too mean to Mir, but like, they, look, they... Look, there was a world where Mia was gonna be important and then it stopped being Here important. We
1: are. <laughs> but uh um, They're nice people. Yeah. So like and, and they actually participate in the Wayland community directly a little mm. bit. Not as
0: much as I would like, but they do it. So I, I give props to them. They're they're at least trying. I think the only of the like not major desktops that are like have a clear vision for Wayland is budgie. Like Budgie is very much on the way to getting Wayland ready.
1: Yes. Well that's yeah,
0: I know. Uh I I I sit in
1: their stand ups. Of course you do. Of course I, you do I, I helped them I helped
0: Josh Strobel make Fedora budgie in the first place. Why am I not <laughs> why look why am I not like I just bring up anything in this phase. I'm like oh I was I started it. Like oh I'm there from the start. Like what do you <laughs> I I can't talk about anything with you without you just already being involved in some way.
1: Look, I'm not involved in any Debian things as far as I know right now. So there you go.
0: Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. You're involved in Debian by uh, what do you call it? Uh, rule of transitivity. You're involved in GNOME yeah, stuff go. that's in Debian. There you go. You're involved well in-
1: not GNOME stuff so much. KD, oh, KD stuff, stuff, stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs> You'll occasionally like, you'll comment on an issue on the GNOME issue tracker.
1: <laughs> yes. Yes, I am. I go. do that. I I exist as a comment in there. I have a couple of I have upstreamed a couple of patches to GNOME before. Mm-hmm. But I I personally find engaging with the GNOME project broadly. I mean, there are specific people where I'm okay with, but like broadly speaking, I find engaging with GNOME frustrating. Mm-hmm. So, um, sometimes it's just, you know, like the way I view how computers should, uh, you know, how computing and open source computing should be thought about and the way that m- several GNOME folks think about it is they don't necessarily fully align. Right. I'm happy to help them out when I need to, or, or support them in the context of Fedora workstation. It's just the broader way that Gnome thinks about things and the way I think about things just don't match up. Um, and so it's just hard for me on that front.
0: I've... But Katie oh. Katie and I, we get along great. So I do a lot there. I certainly hear people often mentioning this about Gnome and don't, there's no need to mention any like specific names, but do you have any examples of like things that are like, that don't align in that regard for you? Not particularly mm-hmm. off the bat that would not
1: point to someone specifically. Right, so right, I don't okay. really want to go there. No, that's But fair. like, I will say this, like, I feel like Gnome as a project is commercially successful, but not community successful. Mm-hmm. They've got, um, I would like to see the Gnome Foundation take community engagement and support much more seriously. And I would like to see Gnome Foundation reports at Quadec start including community engagement and perception metrics and measuring the general attitude people have in gnome and people outside of gnome towards it um because i feel like whether it's perception or reality about how whether gnome is um a a good or bad or whatever project there is clearly a huge mismatch and that's not okay like Sure, and Katie's looked at like a darling. I mean, Katie's not perfect either, and I think they'll be first to admit that they're not perfect. But Gnome Gnome's reputation is not in a place that I would be proud of. I would not be happy with the with that. And like, you know, if I was a community manager, I would be like, this this needs to be fixed. This needs to improve. We can't have people saying that things like. Gnome is all about taking away features and making life difficult for everyone and changing yeah. everything all the time and like or or calling people rejects and stuff like that. Like you, you can't. That's not okay. None of that is okay. Officially, GNOME has a code of conduct which doesn't allow any of this. So why is why do people keep saying that this is a thing and, and this is a problem? And mm-hmm. whether it's perception or reality, it it. The perception is reality, and it needs to improve. I would really like to see Gnome do something about it.
0: Well, even with the Kotakonda, I don't think most of it is, like, Gnome people just being straight up mean. I think it's more like, Gnome has a... They have an approach they want to take, and that is the approach they are taking. Like, a recent example that I saw was, for an entire year, a, a the accent colour portal was completely stalled because there was this discussion about should we have arbitrary colours in the portal or named colours? And there was a Gnome member involved in the thread who was basically just saying, like, Gnome is not doing arbitrary... It's just not going to happen. Like, we are doing named colours? Or we just... It's just not going to happen on Gnome. And the thread basically just completely stalled arguments about, like, how it should be done. And eventually, eventually it did get merged. Before it got merged, like, someone just came in and was like, like, why are you letting GNOME dictate what the other desktops are going to be doing? Like, if GNOME wants to have a restrictive environment, like, they should be allowed to do it. Like, they're making their desktop. But that shouldn't be limiting, like, what all these other desktops are doing. Like, just... Screw Gnome! Like we're just gonna do this, and they're gonna play ball, or they're just—we don't care. So, like nobody, nobody wants a repeat of the uh, status
1: notifier item situation. That's I don't why. Happen to know that one? You might know it by the commercial name that Canonical gave it, which was App Indicators. Right. Okay. 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 <laughs> okay. Every desktop implements the SNI spec except for Gnome. Mm-hmm. Everyone. Guess what? <laughs> this sucks. Because people are writing applications that don't work on GNOME at all.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And and like applications using SNI is only increasing because they're, people are now writing Electron apps or they're writing Flutter apps. And these things are cross-platform. And guess what? Every platform except for GNOME, Linux, Windows, Mac have an equivalent to that thing. And they all use it sometimes for very critical functions. So we're in the situation now where the dominant desktop by virtue of it being on the enterprise Linuxes and on Ubuntu, (laughs) doesn't implement a core feature that a lot of application developers actually need for their apps to work. Nobody wants a repeat of that situation ever again. Mm-hmm. so and gnome knows this
0: mm-hmm.
1: like the gnome community people that are engaging on this they know they have the upper hand in that regard and that is why they ha- like they can talk that way mm-hmm. because they know that ultimately something isn't going to land if gnome doesn't agree to it because gnome is the dominant desktop right like yes it's a dominant desktop in a small market share by an e- uh, inside of an even smaller market share inside of an even smaller market share but in the space of the tiniest of puddles it is a big fish in it so
0: they are a very big plankton.
1: Uh, yes they're a very big plankton yep yeah. um but you know like speaking of the app indicator stuff right like within fedora workstation i kind of got fed up about the fact that like so two jobs ago i was in a workplace where like we had core applications that are required on our computers that only function through app indicators. Like they don't have a window. They don't, they, they run as background applications. Not having support for that meant that the desktop was effectively unusable. Mm-hmm. So I got fed up and I was like, we have to fix this in Fedora workstation. And I outlined this and I said, these are the core things that people depend on. They have to use it. They don't have a choice that only work with, that only fully work when you have SNI support. Mm-hmm. And eventually, you know, logic wins eventually, and they tacitly agreed that they were going to put it in there, but they didn't want to do the existing spec. They wanted a new one. And so there's a free desktop thing Uh about a replacement for um, status
0: notifier item. Status notifier item.
1: Under the SDG specs. Yeah. So update the status notifier um, item system tray spec think, uh, on the free desktop GitLab notifier.
0: Date. Uh, uh, yeah, there we go. Okay, cool.
1: It is also stalled <laughs> for for basically because of
0: of course it is.
1: Be- yes, it's
0: stalled because of yeah. You can, yeah. you can look through it yourself
1: and you can see, but it is stalled. Oh my stalled.
0: God! What is the? Why is the thread so long?
1: It is. I'm just saying it is stalled. It, the thread gets longer if you go to the merge request that's linked to it. God. Okay. <laughs> this is such a mess. Hundred and eighty nine comments. The worst one. And this. it's a lot?
0: Eight months ago. Oh, Aura's is here. Wow. Or is everywhere.
1: yeah well? yeah yeah I don't know quite what's up with Dallas, but she shows up everywhere. So yeah, everywhere gnome centric anyway.
0: Yeah, or is one of my uh, I I actually didn't realize, but like yeah, or is one of the Discord mods. Um, I didn't realize it showed oh. up everywhere else as well. <laughs> this is a this is I, I might have to go read this thread afterwards. This. Just just seeing special. just seeing how long you scroll, which always indicates it's gonna be a fun thread. Yeah, I mean the fact that it kicks in Firefox's nice smooth scrolling tells you that this is gonna be a long one. <laughs> so what what exactly is the deal here then? It's just in a TLDR. TLDR.
1: Mm-hmm. Um GNOME. Wants the wants the specification to be restricted to what GNOME Shell already does, which is not a lot.
0: Yep, that sounds about right. Okay.
1: And everyone else needs it to do just slightly more. Right.
0: Yeah, that's typically how it goes. Yeah. Okay.
1: There were actually some points that they brought up that were quite reasonable, and there were some points that even I brought up. Like, there was one person who's like, oh, "We want to support raster images." So I'm like, "No." <laughs> This new no, no. We've we have worked 20 years to get out of using XPMs and PNGs and, and 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 GIFs in these things. We are not it has to be SVG. I am very sorry you are not getting raster stuff. Uh because we need this to scale with high DPI and all these other things. It's yeah. just all kinds of stuff like that. It's like, oh, we want to be able to draw our own widgets and stuff like I'm no. <laughs> just, just no. <laughs> You're not we're not replicating X embed here. There's like a whole host of not gonna do it here.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's been uh interesting in that front, but like it's it's stalled. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not happy about the fact that it's stalled. I wanted this fixed a year ago. Mm -hmm. And I really didn't feel like this needed to go through this kind of uh, mess. But here we are. (laughs) Stalled. (laughs) And everyone is unhappy
0: because it is stalled.
1: Oh,
0: my God. So, like, if you look at the the Luke's desktop just, like, casually, it all looks like it all flows together really well. But when you start... No, it doesn't. (laughs) No, No, it it doesn't. If you just look at it, like, with your eyes half open it looks <laughs> like it was i think it needs to be quarter open it needs Maybe. to be quarter open but like the the further you look into this the the more you i think the big part of it is the fact that it is just individuals doing what individuals want to do there are these big entities that have their like their their specific goals but it's not like okay Windows, right? If Microsoft wants to get something done, they're going to get it done. Like, they're going to have a plan. There's going to be managers telling people what to do. Here it's like, you know, here's 12 different uh, factions that are all trying to get their own little slight difference. One of them's a lot bigger than everyone else's that has a completely different opinion, but nobody can just agree on... Even some of the most basic... Like, this is as dumb as the accent color thing. Like, it's such a basic thing. I don't understand why we can't agree on this.
1: (laughs) I was gonna say that... And then I realized that you were frozen when I was gonna say it. It's like, oh, crap. This is... (laughs) Uh, I was gonna say that, like, Gnome... Gnome's incentive structure around this is interesting Mm -hmm. because remember I said that they were commercially successful, but not necessarily community successful. Right, right, right. So the commercial successful is interesting because everyone that's paying them doesn't care what Gnome does. Mm -hmm. Which leads to a very weird set of incentives. Mm -hmm. They can do almost whatever they want with some degree of impunity when it comes to this. They're going to get paid. Like the, like, because the, like, for example, in both rail and sled and, and sled, there's not a, um, a direct driver of like, this has to be a certain UX experience. We don't really, they don't really care enough to drive that from a product perspective so that they're not using that input to do anything meaningful. So the developers basically get to do what they feel like
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then they're paid and the the companies just accept whatever it is and they continue to ship it Mm
0: -hmm.
1: there's on one hand that looks great that's generally trust but on the other hand it also means there's no accountability right right so um because of that uh you get to these kinds of deadlock situations and and there is not a super strong incentive for them to do something about it not positively unless unless something else some other factor happens that changes the dynamics there nothing changes and and that's that's really why like I would like to see Genome Foundation to step up as like someone who oh, like as an overseer of the genome project should actually do something in that respect
0: So as it stands right now, it's sort of the only way that something like status notifier, whatever it was, the only way something like that changes, is if you have like corporate pressure trying to like make that happen, then someone's possibly going to be like, Hey, we actually need this now. Like it doesn't really matter like what you guys want as a project. This is, this needs to happen. Well, so it's more like, the incentives have to align so that they care.
1: Right, I think it's right. fine that GNOME's vision of how it should work it should be part of the discussion. Sure, that absolutely sure. makes sense. I think
0: ninety nine percent of think that's fine. Do it like
1: yeah. It the problem is that if if they're ultimately not interested or incentivized to care about making this land even within something that fits within GNOME as well as the rest of the desktops, then it doesn't go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that, like, okay, a company like Red Hat or SUSE is like, we need this in our thing. So you got to go get represent our interests and make us, you know, do the, you know, the XYZ thing. That's not what I mean. What I mean is that they should have people recognize, you know, that, that this is important to us. We will accept a solution. We we will accept any solution for this that you guys can come up with, but it's got to be something that everyone agrees on mm-hmm. that application developers can adopt. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't do that, then this is no good to us either. And that is that's the parameters I want them to have. And to be fair, right? Like that is essentially the parameters that this spec is operating under. The condition for this to even work is that both GNOME and KD have to agree to adopt it. If both are we willing to agree to adopt it, then everybody else will, and everything, and the ecosystem will adapt quickly. Mm-hmm. But if we can't get that, then the status quo is effectively going to carry forward, and there's no point in developing a new spec. Right. So that's why I'm real sad about this being stalled, because in principle, the GNOME Shell developers have agreed to implementing a new spec. They just won't implement the old one, mm-hmm. the current one but getting that speck in the first place right yeah 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 man it's been two years at this point for me it's like i'm i'm still i will die on this hill i want applications to actually work
0: oh on what every day hill to die
1: on I, you'd be surprised yeah. some. <laughs> you'd be very surprised there are some people who say I would rather certain apps just be broken and 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 not look good and not functional because I don't like the the I don't like their mere existence
0: because a choice they made in life and I'm like, no. I've I've had that. as YouTube's top Wayland propagandist as defined by boycott Wayland. I've very really? much yeah. Wow, that's a thing. I, I, wait, have you never heard of boycott Wayland? No. Okay, so you know who Pro Bono is, right? The app image oh, developer. Oh, okay, now I know. I'm done. I, I got it. <laughs> I got it. I, 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 know, yeah. I know. I know. I met him in person. I done. Yeah, I know. Yeah, so he also has i I'm th- done. Here's a, a, um, a GitHub gist, is what it's called. I don't know. He's got yeah. a thing on GitHub called Boycott Whalen. It's this giant list of a lot of outdated information. It's, it's a, and it's, it's a- his nitpick. My, my favourite thing, so I've got two favourite things. One, screen capture doesn't work. It's, it's worked for years. We've got Pipewire. My second favourite thing is all of the tools on there, where it's like, this tool doesn't work, and it's like an X configuration tool. Like, X render doesn't work. X clip doesn't work. Like, do you, want, do you know what the X means in its name? <laughs> no. No, I don't. <laughs> like, what are you... Yeah, no shit, it doesn't... You, my uh, If I, if you go a Volkswagen key, it's not going to open the Subaru. Like, yeah, that's the point. They're not the same thing.
1: I'm very glad that somebody decided to not call this X12. That would have made this so much I, worse.
0: I wish they did. That would have been so great. <laughs> no, I am very happy they picked a different name for this. It, honestly, it would have... Honestly, half the arguments I see are t- it's not even argument about the, the merits of it, it's like, ah, oh, this is not like it's like oh. How do I even describe it? Half the arguments I see for why Wayland is bad are so stupid. But I feel like some of them at least would be alleviated if there's a clear continuation. Because I I've made it clear to people that. A lot of the people working on Whalen today used to work on X. But no, it's Whalen, so it's a different thing. If it was called X12, at least there would be like that clear continuation of the line. Obviously, here's you... the flip side of that argument. okay?
1: The total <laughs> protocol breakage and everything being completely different and nothing being compatible, would have made X12 an even worse name. Because everyone would have expected it to be a backwards compatible upgrade.
0: Okay. That's fair. I guess because we've had X11 for 30 years, and X, there were like xa x9 x10 things like that. but they they exist there like-
1: there's an old library that was only retired a few years ago that was archived that was literally putting x10 applications on top of x11 there hasn't been an x10 application released
0: in 30 years yeah like, x10 didn't even like it didn't become like a, a public widespread project till x11 why did that exist
1: there were earlier versions of the X-Protocol. There were,
0: yeah, I, I know. They existed over the span of like two years, though. Oh. <laughs> uh, like at, at this stage, I I don't use Wayland on my system just because I've had... I've had issues with video... Most of my problems with with Wayland are related to video production-y stuff. Like... Way uh, the way I like to describe sort of the state of Whalen now is Whalen is great <clears throat> if you if you can ignore the giant gaping holes and a regular person is going to go down the middle of the road and they're not going to see any of the holes they're not going to be doing any of the weird edge cases where things do still break. I do that's the problem. Like I I I want to use Whalen and it's the experience I've had is great for my normal computing experience but there are those edge cases where it is still a problem. But I think a lot of people see those edge cases being a problem and then assume that's going to be applying to most of their experience. Like if if you've not used Wayland in three, like whether it's Gnome, whether it's KDE, if you've not used in like three or four years, try it out. I guarantee the experience is going to be so much better than you, you've heard it's going to be. Like, there are issues with NVIDIA, absolutely. There are issues with certain... Um, with Especially if you start getting into like, the, the more window-manager environments, there are certainly issues there. But if you're using GNOME or KDE, the experience is going to be mostly good enough. Maybe you have some issues with accessibility stuff. That's a totally different issue, and that is something that does definitely need to be addressed. But if that's not the case... Try it out. Just see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I didn't have anything I'll, about that. <laughs> I'll say, though, that I vastly prefer the KDE Plasma experience on Wayland than I do the GNOME one. Okay. Because there is more protocol implementation. The Quinn Compositor seems to do stuff a lot better. It is. There, it is, is,
0: I've, there is a lot of collaboration between. W roots and quit. Yes. Yeah, oh, so I know.
1: You,
0: you do have the, it's every, at every every step mm. of the way. It's like, hey, look, KDE's working with the community. Gnome's doing their thing. Every single step of the way.
1: I mean, to be fair, right? The
0: GNOME people also
1: they propose protocols. They sure, do the process yeah, and stuff. It's and they are participating in discussions and stuff. It's just yeah. Well, and they're doing important things too, right? Like the Red Hat folks are working on HDR protocols and Absolutely. they're largely leading that effort and that's Gnome people, you know, but they are working with KD people. They're working with WL Roots people. Like the important stuff is definitely being worked out by everyone. Um, but you know how we talked about stalling. Mm. That happens a lot in the Wayland protocol stuff too. And it's not, I don't know if it's necessarily GNOME people, but it there's a lot of stalling that goes Mm -hmm. on. Like, there are protocols here. I'm looking at the the GitLab project right now. There's merge requests for new protocols that are years old. It's, (laughs) it makes me sad.
0: Uh, Yeah, but look, what are you going to do?
1: I try to pretend it's not a thing until I have to deal with it. That's pretty much the only way to be happy here.
0: Well, look, <laughs> your, your effort is, rather than getting in these threads that are just stalled forever, your effort is a lot better spent on things where you can actually get the ball moving, where you can actually make a difference, where nobody, like, there's no, there's no complaints about the direction it's going. There's no issue with fixing this problem. It's just, okay, it's a problem. We fix it. Good. It's upstreamed, and now we can propagate it out. Everyone's day is better now.
1: I want that to be happening more often, though. Yeah. There's so. It's 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 again. It's just it's just you know. I'm I'm gonna use the word. It's basically politics, right? It's just open source politics. It's a lot of politicking. It's a lot of dealing with people, figuring out how to do compromises and stuff like that it's not glamorous it's not cool it's necessary
0: Mm -hmm. yeah well whenever you have people together like you're always going to run into politics like that like you're always going to have different groups trying to struggle over power different people trying to you know trying to show off their leadership skills like no matter what happens like, we can always think we're better in the open source space, but we're not. It's No. We, we, we're really not. It's just... It's just... The only mod- difference is you gonna can happen. see it all. Yeah, I guess that's a good point. Rather than it happening with, like, you know, we have weird middle managers fighting over who's going to run this project. Here it's just, hey, it's all on the mailing list. It's all on the GitLab. It's all on the Matrix. Whatever communication platform's being used. And it's just... It's just all available to see. And I guess you would hope that that was, they would be used as like a learning experience for others. So it's not repeated again and again and again and again. But well, yeah, it's not what happens. <laughs> yeah. It takes a hot minute. Yeah. We just get lots of examples of, uh, of it just happening. Um, you know what let's be let's be positive let's be positive about the false world. what's what's some uh what's some some happy things we can talk about
1: <laughs> well plasma six is coming it is yeah i'm very excited about kD plasma six mm-hmm. um from the fedora perspective you know this is i i am crossing my fingers that i manage we that i can make fedora be the first distribution to ship it that's I, I really want to be that. I like being first, um, but also I'm just genuinely excited about what's been going on with with Katie Plasma. This is a, like this is not a let's break everything and change all the stuff. This is very much a refinement release. Um, you know, we're taking porting everything to Qt 6 but we're also you know looking at the whole experience and there and doing things to align more and make it so that like things fit better it's a lot of spit shine and polish and and that sort of thing and and i'm very happy that that's what we're doing because we don't need to break everything and change everything all over again Mm -hmm. we already did that once with plasma four and that didn't go so well and and
0: plasma
1: Plasma five was a step in the right direction and i think continuing on that path with Plasma 6 is going to be great. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm super excited about the massive improvements to Plasma Wayland that are going to come with Plasma 6. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big part of it, and I'm very excited. And as you're probably aware, Mm -hmm. Fedora KDE is the first distribution to use um, Plasma Wayland by default, and it's been using it for two-ish years now.
0: I actually wasn't aware of that.
1: Well, okay.
0: Uh, yeah. No. If you go look it
1: up, plasma whale by default, Fedora thirty four.
0: Hmm. Well, I'm not surprised they're using it by default. I just didn't realize they were the first. Yeah. Wow. Uh, ah, that's 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 really cool. Uh, I Wayland
1: think by default.
0: We go twenty twenty one. Yeah. Offhand, I think, um, in... Tw- name is on the thing! Why is your name on every single fedora
1: change? It's not on every single fedora change, but okay. I will say that I have my name on at least one fedora change every release since Fedora 26.
0: Okay. okay. <laughs> to be fair, you are directory places, so it does make sense that you're involved in the change. Um, yes. Okay, maybe there's yeah some obvious yeah that okay you know I'll I'll, I'll let that obvious. one pass.
1: Obvious is obvious. Yes, yeah I'll let that one
0: pass. But like um
1: uh let's see here for for um I, I oh I lost my train of thought. That's all right. That's fine.
0: It's uh, that's okay. Well, I thought I what is the big improvement that's happening on the Whalen uh, KD side with Plasma Six? Well, really, just
1: the upgrade to Qt six is is going to be enough in itself because the KDE folks have done a lot of work in in Qt upstream
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, to make it better on Wayland environments. Wayland has become a bigger focus for the Qt group as well as for KDE. Um, you mm-hmm. know, automotive stuff, embedded stuff, a lot of this that does it on Linux. They're doing it with um, Weston with IVI shell, but they're also sometimes making their own compositors or they're doing their own thing. But they're also running, they, they want to run Wayland applications well. So there's a lot going on there. And and we're going to benefit from that, from, from Qt.
0: Um, and I, I'm very excited about that. Well, I, I've talked about maybe, because I've never actually properly sat down and like daily drove KDE in. I'm, I've been thinking about maybe I'll have to Come try it out when more, 6 comes out. Come on with Fedora, come on with Fedora, come Katie, with fedora. best. Yeah, but unlike, not yeah. like my my broken as hell arch system. N- it's content. Whenever it breaks, it's content. I need a system that's not stable. <laughs> Fine, whatever. <laughs> I've, I've said before that if I. <clears throat>
1: you could definitely have a broken system by running fedora rawhide if you'd like that that that's 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 your way to do it you're going to get everything as it comes and good luck with that that's probably the way to go
0: i've said before that when i eventually whenever it happens eventually set up my capture pc i'll probably just throw fedora on it because i just i'm not gonna install arch on a capture pc that's stupid (laughs) I don't know people do crazy things.
1: Yeah. Uh, but like, um, so actually now I remember what I was going to say. It's mm. like, so Fedora was the first to do Plasma Wayland. And a year later, um, Chaos Linux, K-A-O-S, um, they're a KDE only distribution. They actually switched to Plasma Wayland by default too. Wow. And then earlier this year, um, Fedora with Fedora 38, uh, we are now Wayland all the way from login to shutdown. Uh, because we changed the display manager, DDM, to Wayland. Mm-hmm. So we are now not using X for anything um, in in Fedora KDE, other than to run X11 applications.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Wow on on a Wayland session. So that's a uh, at this point we are actually comparable to GNOME on that front. So that's awesome to hear. Yeah. We're the only distro that's at that level. but Mm -hmm. And and, and I'm not resting on our laurels. I want us to push forward faster, further. Mm -hmm. And I intend to do
0: a lot more around that as much as I can. Mm -hmm. What are the big areas to be focused on right now? So really multimedia has
1: been my thing right now. Like dealing with multimedia stuff. Like Fedora, Linux distributions in general have a very poor multimedia story. And improving that has been something that I've been poking at for the past few years. Um, I helped bring FFmpeg into Fedora, which has unlocked a huge trove of applications to be able to bring into the distribution. Uh, OBS Studio, which I've started contributing to the OBS project as well uh, because of that. And a bunch of other things related uh, on that front, like being able to make it better for like my personal goal is to make it better for game devs and other creatives. Um, and, and, and that's like where I'm seeing the, 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 you know, if you talk about product market fit and all those kinds of businessy terms, that's kind of where I'm going with this. Mm -hmm. So I started a couple of years ago, working on game dev stuff with SDL and having to improve things on that front, getting everything shipped over shifting over to Wayland by default for games on Mm -hmm. Linux. Is also an aspect that I'm going to do because we don't want, kind of like the most important visual thing, mm-hmm. to be stuck on the legacy technology. And right. so that's that that's a bit of what I've been doing. And then the adjacent to that is like, oh, how do we deal with content creation and media production? And now that I do a podcast with the pseudo show and 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 all that other stuff, like, and I need to be able to do that stuff too. Yeah. And so like I am focusing a lot. <laughs> I'm focusing a lot on that, Mm -hmm. trying to get the creatives, the creative stuff in place. Like Kaden live is now in Fedora. OpenShot is now in Fedora. We're looking through like getting all these other things and tools and stuff. Like because the multimedia situation is improving so rapidly in Fedora, we're getting to a point where maybe some point in the near future, there might be even a Fedora creators lab Mm-hmm. And that would just be like preloaded with the, or like an equivalent, uh, like Fedora, uh, like something more like what, um, Fedora jam does for audio, except for video and, and, and then maybe uh. another one for game creation and game development. Like mm-hmm. I want to enable people to build these like opinionated collections to promote open source technologies mm-hmm. for doing real things in not just it spaces. Because when you get the enthusiasts and you get the gamers and you get the, uh, the professional creatives, that's the next stage. That's like how you get the next step of growth and, and success, both for community and professional Linux. Like mm-hmm. I want to see that happen because I think that's how you get to the next stage of growth and adoption.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Cause we've already got the developer types. The developers love Linux. We got to get everyone else too, and we got to take that step
0: by step. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What sounds like that's that's coming along well. Then, like I, I wasn't aware of what was being done uh, on Fedora in in that regard. Like, as as I I, I look at Fedora a lot from the outside. So when there's like some big change on the wiki, there's some like big threat, Like that's something I'll usually see. But these like. Day to day operational changes and introduction of new packages. Like, this is something I've not been aware of happening on that front, but it is awesome to hear that, like, everything is getting better there. Yep. I mean, I, I do Fedora changes for a lot of the bigger
1: things, mm-hmm. but also, like, I'm not shy about the stuff that we're, we're doing on this front. I talk about them whenever I give talks at the Fedora release parties or at Flock or whatever, mm-hmm. right? Fedora Sahi remix is another step towards that. The creative types tend to own Macs. Mm-hmm. Either they've had them historically or they've had them because of their job or whatever. Giving them an opportunity to use Linux on that hardware is a big deal mm-hmm. and it gives them an, gives them an opening. Mm-hmm. And so I look at it from that perspective, like what is there to enable here and what this is to enable is to bring in a new set of people. Like either people who have, you know, I fully expect that Apple is going to EOL, the first generation Apple Silicon Max within the next few years. It's been a while. It's been a hot minute now. How uh, long does it mean? Well, they launched at the end of uh, November 2020, I think. So we're like two years into it, and like you know, a couple more years, we definitely you know, get M- Yeah, they're it, like when the M3 chip comes out. Do you think that they're going to still hold on to M1 anymore? I don't know. I mean, they've gotten a lot more aggressive about you know dropping old Apple uh, Macs, like Intel Macs, are dropping like flies. And I, I don't know what their strategy is gonna be for our Macs, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: but like, I wanna give people the opportunity to have a platform that they can use that in the event that Mac OS can't be at updated anymore for their platform. Mm-hmm. And also, you know, people who have Macs that are being updated, they wanna use that hardware with Linux too, I wanna to give them that opportunity. And I think it's also a great way to just make it so that Linux is available,
0: a good Linux platform is available everywhere. Mm-hmm. What is, I, I, we'll be we'll it up soon-ish, but I, what is the state, like, as, like, a, a top-level view, like, what's Asahi like right now? Like, I, because I, I, once again, this is another thing where I look at a lot from the outside, I see these big changes that are being added, but I don't really, you know, see how much it's really improving, like, to actually use it. Well,
1: my Apple Silicon Mac is in the other room, so I can't really bring it to, you to show you, but... Sure, sure. It basically works. Like if you don't, as long as you're not dealing with sound or hardware accelerated video or the AI or the neural engine,
0: mm-hmm.
1: everything works. I mean, it gets like eight, eight hours of battery life. It's it, it it's surprisingly not very exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it it works like you would expect on any other platform. It just happens to run on arm instead of X86. Mm. And Apple Silicon's a weird platform that boot to boot from, so there's goofiness there. But otherwise it's just, you know, if you've you've used Fedora in a VM or if you've used Fedora on real hardware on x86, it could be a similar
0: experience on, on an Apple Silicon Mac. I think that's the best the best spot to be in. It's boring. Like Yeah. The exciting part is that it's boring. Yeah. Because if boring means it's work. Like if if it's not working, like, well, hey, that's at least <laughs> some excitement. Like you know, yeah. But... Well, that's that's honestly like really good to hear then. Like, cause I I I saw the project come along very early on. I was like, this this is got I I was very hopeful. Like I I know there's a lot of people out they've looked who who's oh, never gonna happen blah blah. Like people being really skeptical of it. I I don't know why. Like you can look at like the history that Hector's had in this space. Like the, Hector's not new. I've again. known Hector for yeah. years. Because I, I like I used to be involved in homebrew communities and in,
1: in the Sonic scene for and the Nintendo scenes for you know making hacked ROMs and home, and and you know boot me and all that other stuff the homebrew set because uh, I had a Wii that I eventually you know when I got a Wii U and moved playing games to the Wii U I hacked my Wii because why the hell not <laughs> and so like you know I knew about Hector like in the PlayStation Three efforts and all this other stuff so I've I've known his track record personally. Although before this, he and I hadn't really interacted right. all that much. But, like, I knew him. I'd interacted with him briefly from time to time as, like, like, some guy who's, like, saying stuff in an IRC channel or whatever. But, like, I had all the confidence in him and his team because I've seen him do make magic happen before. Also, the man's a bleeding genius. Mm-hmm. He's, like, he's actually good at what he does. And he says things that I don't understand. And I have to go look stuff up. And then I realize, oh, okay, got it. Like, so when you're at that level, anything is possible. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And he's also a nice guy, which is rare for geniuses, at least in my experience. (laughs) I'm no genius.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, on that note, um, let's end off the show. All right then. Um, where do you want to direct people to? I know you mentioned pseudo show before, but do you have a website or a place where people would find it? Um, so I don't have a website right now. I probably should make one at some point.
1: But I uh, well, think you do. I, you just don't have a yeah. website, man. I used to have a website with a blog a long mm-hmm. time ago, and then I moved it to Blogger because I didn't want to keep the infrastructure up anymore. Right, and I stopped doing blogs because of Twitter, and then, and now Twitter's <laughs> gone because it's gone into into a weird weird place. Um, so now I'm on uh, I'm on the Fediverse. so I'm on uh, Fostadon.org slash um Conan underscore Kudo. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also on GitHub as Conan dash Kudo, GitLab as Conan underscore Kudo and Gompon on Fedora, Faro and Tim on OpenSUSE. There's a bunch of places all over the place you can find me. Um, and I think that's like the primary place people can get in touch with me is on, on the Fediverse. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty much the the, the way to go.
0: Uh, where can people find Pseudo show? You skipped over that part. Right. So um, I think it oh, I need to double check to make sure
1: this URL works because we just got this. Mm-hmm. I think if you go to tuxdigital.com slash show, that should work. Yes, it does. Sweet. tuxdigital.com slash pseudoshow will redirect you to the website, to the awesome. webpage. So there you go. Um, we also have a YouTube channel. Um, if you want to subscribe, we post to YouTube as well. We have all kinds of other fun video content there. I think if I do youtube.com slash sudo show mm-hmm. you will you will see it all
0: there awesome awesome um like and subscribe yeah do that <laughs> do all that stuff uh are those the only things you want to mention or is there anything else you want to plug?
1: I think that's it for now I don't have anything else.
0: Okay awesome um do my stuff then so the main channel is Brody Robson I do Linux videos there six days a week I have no idea what to be out by now because I am way ahead of my schedule. Um, yeah, no, schedule for this one, not for, yeah. So I, I, this will be out in like two or three weeks and I have another, why do I keep doing, I keep saying, I'm going to, oh, I'm going to take a break and then I record two podcasts in a week. Why do I keep doing this? I don't think that counts as a break. No, it doesn't. My, my, my (laughs) backlog just keeps getting bigger. What I don't know why I'm doing this. Whatever. Um I've got the gaming channel that is Brady on Games on YouTube and Twitch. Also Kick, I guess, because I'm there because why not? Uh also D-Live, if for some reason you still use D-Live. Um I'm probably still playing through Final Fantasy 16 and Armored Core. So that's fun. Um And if you're listening to the audio version of this, you can find the video version on YouTube at Tech over T. And if you want to listen to the audio version, pretty much any podcast platform out there, there is an RSS feed as well. Just search Tech over T and you will find it. Uh, I'll give you the final word. What do you want to say? Uh,
1: Linux and open source is great. Go check out, if you've not really tried Fedora, give it a shot again. Fedora uh, KD is awesome. Fedora Workstation uh, is great too. Give it a shot and, and and enjoy.
0: Have fun. Awesome. It was a pleasure to have you on. Uh, definitely see this again sometime. Yeah.
1: yeah. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Well, see you guys later.